0: Thanks for tuning in to this presentation of The Path Forward. This is Daniel Workman. I am joined by Chris Kessel of West Virginia Soccer Association. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing great this evening. Thanks for having me. So we are going to talk through and look at the path forward for U.S. soccer. So, as we kind of keep going, um, one of the the next sections we want to look at is is how the rest of the world operates. So, if we look at how the rest of the world operates clubs, a typical club is going to have a first team, a reserve team, and then they're going to have youth teams below that. Um, And, you know, some will stop or drop at certain levels, or some will have Uh, teams at at other levels that other clubs don't have. But generally, they are going to have a first team, some type of reserve team, and then some type of academy or youth team set up. Um, What that does is it means that around the world, uh, these clubs are operating in a player economy. So they are able to develop and identify players for their first team, uh, but they are also able to develop and identify players that are sold to other clubs. And when these players are sold, those funds are, are, are then reinvested back into the club. It helps them continue to grow or in some cases stay alive and operate. Clubs are also able to earn solidarity payments as well as training compensation. And so uh, to just give a little bit of, you know, some information on, on those last two points, because they are often confused as to what they are exactly. Um, The first aspect of solidarity payments is this, is that if a transfer occurs between different jurisdictions, meaning if a player is sold from a team in the U.S. to the Bundesliga, like we've seen recently, when that happens um, and that player is in contract, then the fee is then negotiable and 5% of that fee um, is distributed to all of the clubs involved in that player's training since the season of their 12th birthday. So that money adds up. It, It was estimated recently that the recent transfer of Pulisic from Dortmund to Chelsea... Uh, would be worth in, over seven hundred thousand dollars, I believe was the number based on that transfer fee and um, and then that money would should be according to fifa 's rule on solidarity payments, would be divvied out to the clubs that helped develop him from the time of his twelfth birthday um, up so um, the next definition is training compensation so to to give a little bit of clarity on that training compensation is paid to all clubs who have trained the player from age 12 to 21 when a player status changes from amateur to non amateur. So basically what, what that would do is have a a major impact domestically. So if, if you were uh, you identified a player in West Virginia, Chris, and you develop him at your club and then that player signs a contract, let's say at 19 or 20, 21, 22, whatever the age is, then what would happen is your club should get um, a, a portion of that um, training compensation fee based on the years that they were with your club, that you were developing them. and Right. So training compensation is typically much, much smaller than a solidarity payment.
1: Um, and it's uh, in, in countries it's, it's different in countries all over the world, but in the uh, larger country, the the larger soccer economy countries, there are different um, levels. So like if you are a very small club, you get a payment from a payment schedule. That's much smaller than if you are in the, uh, you know, Manchester United Academy. Manchester United is obviously investing much more money into developing players. So their, you know, training compensation payment schedule is much higher. England has multiple levels. I'm pretty sure that other countries do it a similar way to that. So, you know, it it's a uh it's it's based on kind of the average amount of money that teams at each of these club sizes basically spend on their academy so that it is um if they lose a player that signs the first professional contract with somebody else they are still compensated for the time, energy and effort that they put into developing this player and it is just a uh you know done so that people don 't close their academies, no because they know that if they develop a good player as a youth, they would go to one of the big clubs
0: absolutely, and you know one of the the key elements to understand about both solidarity payments and training compensation is they are not uh, the, these policies that FIFA has put forth, these principles that are in play. These will not eradicate pay-to-play in America anytime soon, if ever completely. But what it can do is begin to, over time, have an organic, natural effect on some of the really, really expensive um, aspects of pay-to-play. When you go beyond you know, a few hundred dollars and now you're looking at thousands of dollars. If these clubs were able to receive uh, compensation for their work, then they would not necessarily be having to charge as much money to do some of the things that they are doing. And the market would also adjust based on the fact that these payments would be available. So, you would have parents, you would have coaches, you would have players that would come to a better understanding and, and, then, and then they would, along with other factors, begin to change and shape the player economy in the U.S. And that would have, you know, over time, an, an impact on the, the level, the expensiveness uh, of pay-to-play when we look at us youth soccer and you know one of the things about american clubs is just like we mentioned uh, a few moments ago a lot of us soccer is segmented and our clubs are segmented you know in in the us in the absence of fully functioning clubs we really have these one-eyed monsters and and what i mean by that is most us adult teams amateur and pro, often referred to as clubs, were created without youth academies. So these organizations are like trees existing without root systems. If you look at probably the two biggest stories in amateur soccer in the last 10 years, Detroit City FC and Chattanooga FC, both of these clubs were formed without academies and they've had to kind of work backwards to address the youth setup in their areas and are continuing to work on those. And, and so even our best success on the adult side started without having um, you know, any youth system beneath them. So they were always having to bring in players from the outside, they were always having to try to create connections with their community and all of that work has been fantastic. Um, but they, they were not founded based on a, a community club from a generational standpoint. And on the flip side, you have most youth clubs in America were formed without having first teams. And the reason why first teams are so important is they create a defined mission, a goal, and an example for the academy players as well as their coaches. And I would even go further it gives an example to the parents to understand what their their kids are actually striving for. So these organizations are like houses without roofs and you know, they're focused on developing players and building up players. And then there's, there's a giant hole in the ceiling and these players just go somewhere. (laughs) There's no, there's no uh, path for them after a certain age. It just stops. And, you know, they either get back involved uh, coaching in the club um, or, you know, they they maybe years and years later bring their own kids back to um, be youth players in the club. But there is not a sense of a pathway for most youth clubs in America to take a 8, 9, 10, 11 year old kid And walk them through a multi-year, you know, 8, 10, 12-year process, uh, a pathway to a first team. And, you know, what we need is to learn from those who are doing this well. And that's, you know, happening around the world, especially in Europe. And, you know, we we need to change our mentality both on the adult side as well as on the youth side. And we need to shift to having cradle-to-grave clubs. I like to call them generational clubs. And, you know, and, and those clubs need to be in a system that um, incentivizes merit for the first teams and their associated academies. Um, American soccer should be a land of opportunity for everybody who has a dream, who's willing to work really hard, who's willing to hustle, think outside the box and compete and win. Um, We need to fully embrace promotion and relegation, the principle of sporting merit as defined by FIFA. And we also need to implement solidarity payments and training compensation as well that incentivizes and places a priority on development. And, you know, one of the things that we need to do is to start looking outside of our borders. It's real easy to get caught up looking at what we currently do and we never really take a moment to look and study what is happening around the world and how are they actually doing what they are doing. Why is the Premier League so big and why do more Americans watch the Premier League or Liga MX in Mexico, than they do our own domestic um, professional league and Major League Soccer. Why is La Liga so popular? Why why is Barcelona and Madrid the two biggest clubs in the world in terms of popularity? Those in those answers is where we need to is where we will find where we need to go as a country.